All right, welcome back to another episode of the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I'm the pastor of Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah, and I am following the Come Follow Me curriculum for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as they go through the Old Testament. And my goal is to just provide some perspective from a Bible-believing pastor and teacher. So uh, I hope these are helpful. I am just going through and, and following the schedule. You, you might be a week ahead or a week behind, depending on where your ward falls on the schedule. I couldn't find a, uh, a schedule from the church's main website, churchofjesuschrist.org, but I did find this one that somebody made on like Pinterest or something. I don't know. So I, I printed out this one that's got like kids' cartoons on it and everything. I trust it's accurate. <laughs> if it's, if my schedule is off, you guys just let me know. That would be helpful if I'm somehow a week behind or whatever. But I feel like I'm close enough with these, and, and that's good enough. Uh, also, would love to, to hear from you if these are helpful. If there's anything I can do to be more helpful, just let me know. Um, but yeah, it, it, thanks for joining me today. So the lesson this week is on Genesis 24 through 27. Genesis chapters 24, 25, 26, and 27. There's, again, you know, each one of these, there's so many things we could look at, but I'm just going to focus on the Jacob and Esau stuff that's going on in chapters 25 and 27, namely uh, them being born and then Jacob obtaining both the birthright and the blessing from his father Isaac, uh, instead of Esau getting those things. So without any further further ado, <clears throat> let's jump right into the text in Genesis 25, starting in uh, verse, yeah, verse, no, we don't want to start in 27. Let's back up. I don't know why it was on 27. Let's start in verse 22. Talks about Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And it says that the children in her womb struggled together within her. And she says, if it is so, why then I am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. She was having just strange physical manifestations in her womb from her children. And she's asking God what's going on. Verse 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. All right, very interesting. Let's read down through verse 26. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth, with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. Uh, you can see if you're watching along, the note here for Jacob is his name means the one who takes by the heel or the one who supplants. Uh, lots of wordplay is going on in the Hebrew through these chapters. I'm not going to speak to all of that, but there are great resources out there to uh, explain that to you. I could refer you to uh, some things if you're interested. Just comment or email or whatever, and I'll, I'll let you know. 
But you've got Jacob and Esau, twins being born, Esau being born first, which is very important, and Jacob being born second when Isaac was 60 years old. So right from the get-go, there's a little bit of something we need to understand about Hebrew culture, being that those who were the firstborn in a family, the, the firstborn son of a family, had certain privileges that were given to him by nature of his being first in the chronological order. Um, there were certain privileges given to him that the other children didn't get. So the firstborn son was given what was called a, a birthright, and this birthright gave him a special status in the home, uh, kind of like a second in command to the father, but also gave him a... Uh, a future inheritance that was better than the rest. He would receive a double portion of the inheritance and would have certain rights that get expounded through the rest of the Hebrew scriptures that you could study. But but this birthright came with the firstborn status. So Esau being the first one born, even though they were twins, Esau came out of the womb first. And since he was first, he had that birthright status. And Jacob did not have that status. But if you remember back just a moment ago when we were looking at these verses, remember God's promise in verse 23 that the older will serve the younger. So God here is issuing a statement about what's going to happen with these two children, and it's the opposite of what would typically happen in a home like this, in the Hebrew home. The older one is the one with the strength and the resources, and God here is saying that the younger one is actually going to be the stronger one who's going to rule over the older. So it's a reverse. And notice, too, that God says there are two peoples and two nations in the womb. So it's not just two individuals, but from these two individuals are going to flow two nations. And the nations end up being Israel from Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and then you get his 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, etc. And then from Esau, you get the nation of Edom. Now I have on the screen here too, Romans chapter 9, because this gives us some, some interesting commentary on what's going on. So let me uh, read a passage from Romans 9, and then give you some theological thoughts to, to tie these things together. In Romans 9 verse 10, it says not only this, but there was Rebecca also, so Isaac's wife, Rebecca, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, and the twins, of course, being Jacob and Esau. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Wow, Esau, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So Paul is giving commentary on Genesis 25, 23 that we just read in that verse where the God of Abraham and Isaac says to Rebekah, your older child is going to be the servant of the younger child. Paul here is saying that this was God's plan from the beginning, that before they were born, before they actually entered into this world, before they as human beings engaged in either good deeds or evil deeds, before any of that, 
it was said that this is what was going to happen. Jacob, the younger, was going to rule over and be stronger than the older brother, Esau. So things that we can extract from this. One is that the future is absolutely settled. Isn't this amazing that before they were born, God here is saying this is what's going to happen. From God's perspective, the future is absolutely settled. There's, there's nothing that can throw off what God knows is going to happen and what God has ordained to happen. When he said that the older will serve the younger, he wasn't making an accurate guess. He wasn't saying something that, that could potentially have not come to pass. He was saying something that was absolutely certain. Like, like we talk about facts of history, God can talk about facts of future because the future is not future to God. It's only future to us, those who are bound by time. But we also learn here that God is active in crafting the future. Paul's whole point in Romans 9, it's a very fascinating chapter. You should check that out and you should read it. Paul's whole point in Romans 9 is that God is the one choosing what is going to happen in the future. How can God be so certain of these future events? How is the future not future to God? Well, that's because God is actively involved in bringing about the events that are future to us. He is, he is not someone who just sits back and looks into the future with his amazing ability to do so, even though he, I mean, he does have that ability. But he's also actively involved in creation to bring about what he has said is going to happen, which is a very important point. It's not that God's passive in looking into the future. He's actually active in crafting the events that are to come. And so in Romans 9, Paul's talking about God's purpose of election. We can go back to the text here, uh, where he says that he has chosen one. Paul is saying that uh, God's purpose according to his choice would stand. So God actually chose Jacob as the one who would rule over and be stronger than Esau. And again, this goes into uh, or, or this goes against the common way these things would happen in that culture. God chose for a different path. Uh, for this family, that Jacob would be the one to rule over Esau. And it's God's purpose, and it's God's choice that this is happening. Now, this is very important that you grasp this. It's not saying that God is passive and saw that Jacob would uh, do what he needed to do to overtake Esau, and so he was just going to roll with Jacob's free choices. That's not what it says. It says that God had a purpose and God had a choice of Jacob and that that was going to stand. <laughs> it's not that these things were up in the air, that God made this choice and then, well, Jacob had to cooperate with God to get there. That's not it either. It's that God said this is going to happen. He made this decision. He had an intentional purpose. He had an elective choice. He was free to choose. And therefore, everything that followed... Uh, the events that followed were in con conformity to his choice. That's an important way to look at this, because by default, the way that we want to look at certain stories is to say, okay, well, God must have just known that we would freely do this, 
or that God calls us to do something and then we cooperate with him to accomplish the purpose that he wants to see in the world. But that's just not the way scripture presents this to us. Scripture presents it to us as God said this is going to happen. He made it happen. Wow. Wow, that's some pretty big theology. And that's really important that you that you grasp that and understand that, that this is how God operates. Because we're getting ready to see how Jacob received the birthright, how Jacob received the inheritance uh, or the blessing. And uh, it's not exactly the most noble means, but we, but we need, to, we need to, to think through this. If we uh, drop down in Genesis 25, we see that uh, Esau went out and was out and about because he was a hairy man who was an outdoorsy guy. Jacob was at home. And Esau was famished, it says. Esau comes back and he says to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there. Wow, I had no idea that the New American Standard said that. That red stuff there. Huh, that's amazing. That red stuff there. Apparently when I read through this earlier, I I didn't catch that or I was reading a different translation. Uh, But it's soup, uh, porridge, stew, you know, whatever you want to throw in there. let me have a swallow of that stuff, for I am weary or famished. But Jacob said, okay, uh, but first sell me your birthright. Today, sell me your birthright. Esau says, I'm about to die, (laughs) verse 32. So of what use then is the birthright to me? I'm getting ready to die here. Uh, the birthright means nothing to me because I, I won't even be able to enjoy my inheritance. I'm about to pass out and leave this earth. And Jacob says, well, okay, yeah, I agree with you. So go ahead and swear that birthright to me. And he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. And Esau thus despised his birthright. So there was a formal transaction that took place here where Jacob acquired his brother's birthright. And uh, Esau is acting very ungodly. Uh, We learn explicitly later on in Scripture uh, that... Oh, I was supposed to be on the uh, this page the whole time. I thought I was on on this page. Sorry that you weren't seeing the text there. Um, we, We learn later in Scripture, namely in the book of Hebrews, that... Esau was a godless man, an immoral man, and the reason why he, uh, he did this was because he was thinking in his flesh. He wasn't thinking um, or acting in a godly way, and it says in verse 34 there that he despised his birthright. So Jacob obtains the birthright from his brother Esau <clears throat> through this uh, uh, ungracious, uncharitable, way. Uh, Again, not exactly the most noble way. But not only does he get the birthright, but he goes on to get the blessing too. So the birthright and the blessing are two separate things. Birthright is given to the firstborn son uh, just by default. Firstborn sons in Israel, they have a, a birthright that has to do with their inheritance. The blessing, on the other hand, is something that the Father gives, and it could be given to any child at any time, and there are varying degrees of blessing that are given, uh, though it seems as though the children would receive unique blessings in Israel. Well, in uh, let's go back to Genesis 
27. We will start with verse 26. Genesis 27, verse 26. Uh, what we have going on in the context is, again, Esau's out being outdoorsy. Jacob, working together with his mother, sets out a plan to deceive the father, Isaac, to get the blessing from him. And so he dresses up like Esau. Isaac's eyesight was bad at this time. And so Jacob figures out with his mother, hey, if you just put on this hairy garment, you can smell like him, you can talk like your brother, and you can go ask your father to bless you. And so that's what's going on. It says here that his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. And again, at this point, Isaac is thinking Jacob is Esau. And so Jacob comes close and kissed him. And when Isaac smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth in an abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. So especially in verse 29, you see um, kind of a repetition here of elements of the Abrahamic covenant. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. Genesis 12, 3, uh, there will be a great nation with abundance, and peoples will serve, nations will bow down. Uh, And may your mother's sons bow down to you, it says here. Um, may your mother's sons bow down to you. Now, that includes his brother Esau. So he's blessing Jacob and saying, may Esau bow down to you. And of course, that was at the, the heart of, of the prophecy or of the promise that God gave to Rebekah. The older will serve the younger. So again, uh, we see not the most noble means. In fact, we see outright sin that Jacob is lying and intentionally bearing false witness and deceiving his own father. Let me uh, give you a few things to, to think about here as I bring this to a close. Uh, first of all, how was Isaac making the decision that Jacob was Esau in that moment? Because you, as you read through that text, and I encourage you to go read it, uh, chapter 27, you see hesitation on Isaac's part. At least three times, Isaac saying, hmm, how can I verify that this is really my son Esau? So he he had a little bit of speculation about this, or a little bit of skepticism, that's the better word. He had a little bit of skepticism about the whole ordeal. Well, did you do you notice that he falls back on his senses? We read in the text there where, I, I smell your garments, now I know that it's you. Well, human senses fail us. Our senses of smell, taste sight, um, feel, all of these things end up failing us, and they should not be our priority in making spiritual decisions. (laughs) Uh, We see that Isaac's spiritual decision that he made here was faulty as he was relying on his senses. And I wonder, too, if you have made some spiritual decisions based on your senses and your reasoning even. 
we uh, we must rely on what God has said plainly. We must inquire uh, of God, and He has spoken to us in His Word, and we we start there, and and our senses must come into conformity with that, other, rather than the other way around. So that's just one thing to to point out. Another thing to point out is that Jacob did absolutely sin. He he lied at least twice. He said he was Esau. He said that he was out hunting, and God gave him great uh, favor as he was out hunting, that God really blessed him on his hunting trip. Both of those, uh, of course, are lies. Jacob was straight up lying. It was wrong. It was sinful. It was evil. It was wicked. It was rebellious. Um, So you've got Isaac being led by his senses. That's not right. Now, I'm not going to go as far to say that that's outrightly rebellious, but it's definitely unwise. You have Jacob, his son, outright rebelling with his sin, And then you have, through this story, God's choice and God's will being done. God's choice being realized, His purposes standing, and His will being done. Now, isn't that amazing? Because again, we have to remember that God is not passive in shaping the events that come to pass in this life. God is not like a a storehouse of blessings that's just passively sitting there. And you could go and you could pillage that storehouse because God's just there. He's just I'm a he's just like a, a shed full of blessings. And you can go break in. You can go break into the shed and steal all the blessings for yourself. And there's nothing he can do because he's just hands off letting you do whatever you would like. That's not how God operates in the world. God is very active in the world. And when God said that he was going to uh, choose Jacob, and we don't have that explicitly in Genesis 25, but the Romans 9 commentary brings in more, and then there's also um, other Old Testament passages that speak of this event that show more insight into God's activity at this time. But when God decided, we could say, when God decided that the older would serve the younger, that was his choice. And as this came about and the the blessing was issued to Jacob, that happened in accordance with the will of God. Now, does God desire rebellion against him in the sense that he forced Jacob to sin? No. That it was pleasing to God that Jacob was disobedient when he lied to his father? Did that, did that please God? No. However, was that whole event in accordance with God's purposes and God's choice and his activity in human beings to bring about and accomplish his purposes? Yes. Yes. So I'll leave it there for now. That's something for you to chew on for a bit. Feel free to comment on this. Again, send me an email, uh, you know, whatever you want to do. I, I want this to be helpful. I want this to help you think through the Bible from a perspective that perhaps you don't normally have. So, Uh, Thanks for listening, and God bless.